Right, hello everybody. Um, so um, today is Palm Sunday, and um, I hope we've met before, but if we haven't, I'm Jenny Button. I'm married to Pete, who's, I think, here at the back somewhere. Yeah, there he is. <laughs> uh, we live in Ottery St. Mary. We've got two teenagers, or a tween, seem to be a teenager and a teenager, and one who's left home which feels like an achievement if anybody's done that. One's gone, hooray, <laughs> two to, <two> to go. <laughs> anyway, so um, Palm Sunday. So um, this may be a familiar story, um, but I don't know about you, but when I started looking at this, I thought, wow, this, this raises a lot of questions for me. It feels so full of symbolism, and I really wanted to understand it a bit more. And um, it reminded me, when I was growing up, I grew up a bit in London and a bit in Devon, when I was growing up, my mum used to book me and her on tours uh, around either the Tate or the National Gallery. And, you know, I'd fly past these paintings normally, but on these tours, a guide would kind of stand there and say, oh, if you stand at this angle, you can see this, or did you not spot that thing in the corner of the painting? This is what this means. And it would really kind of open it up to me and to everybody else on the tour. And, um, and the symbolism was just really amazing and enlightening. And then you'd look at that painting in a totally different way. And you think, wow, all of that in one thing. And I think this story is a bit like this for us. It's got lots of different aspects in it. And, um, and what I thought I'd do is kind of take us through three main themes. And then at the end, we'll kind of stand back and look at the story again. So I hope that's OK. That's the plan for the next 15, 20 minutes. Um, anyway, so, um, yeah, so I just really feel there's loads that Jesus wants to show about himself um, through this prophetic act, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. So the first thing to think about is um, this thing of waiting for a king. So if we go back a little bit, uh, John 11, uh, verse 56, just before our, our passage for today, it says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many people from the country went, sorry, from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked each other, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? And there's all this whispering and chat that was going on in the temple amongst the people as they were doing this cleansing, this preparation, which could take anywhere between one and six days, according to sort of different rules and laws. And during this time, with all these people coming to Jerusalem, there was a massive buzz in Jerusalem. And I don't know if you can picture it, if you've ever visited that part of the world or any other kind of old towns, but there were sort of ancient narrow streets teeming with people, a really sort of intense and bustling place with like steep little alleyways, shops and cafes, all sort of brimming with life. So if you can imagine that, and then dominating the city, taking up a full quarter of the space, you had the Temple Mount, and in the middle of that, the temple. And next to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem at that time, there was a fortress, a Roman garrison, full of soldiers just reminding everybody to keep the order, to keep order rather, and remind Jewish people that as well as fearing God, they would better fear the emperor. So that's the kind of scene of Jerusalem. You've got the buzz in the temple, you've got the, the narrow streets, you've got the temple and the Roman garrison. So Jerusalem was the place where it all happened, where there was 
business, religion, Roman governance, all of that was really concentrated into half a square mile. And it was into this city, this hub of life and power that Jesus came into. So in this city of King David, the other sort of name for Jerusalem, the city of kings, let's imagine ourselves now, imagine we are Jewish, living in or near Jerusalem under oppressive Roman rule, and the most important festival of the year, the Passover, is nearly upon us. The time that we celebrate that we were freed from Egyptian oppression and slavery when death literally passed over us. And we remember terrible but also glorious stories that have been relayed from generation to generation. Stories of the sacrificial lamb, the passing over, the parting of the Red Sea with Egyptian soldiers chasing down after the people. That's what we're remembering in Jerusalem. And we find ourselves in Jerusalem once again oppressed. That Roman garrison next to the temple oppression, persecution, being downtrodden, abused, maltreated, ill-treated, tyrannized, subjugated, repressed, subdued, crushed, enslaved, etc., etc., if you want to read a definition. But this time by Roman rule, not Egyptian rule. So as Jewish people, we're waiting, perhaps a little desperately, for the promised king, the Messiah, who's going to free us from this Roman oppression. And you have all that whispering in the temple. Who's heard of Jesus of Nazareth? He's doing these amazing things. Less than two miles from Jerusalem, he raised someone from the dead. He made a blind man see, made lame walk. All of this culminating in the, in the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Can all this be true? Can all this be true? So here we are in Jerusalem. We've got great expectations of a king. So we hold that bit in our heads. That's us waiting for a king. Now we're going to switch scenes. We're going to think about sacrifice. Because while this was happening in Jerusalem, Jesus was at a large dinner party. Reminds us of before, doesn't it? Where Jesus is doing something a bit different, a bit countercultural. He's not doing the ceremonial cleansing bit. He's having a party with his friends. So Jesus had rejoined Lazarus, who'd been raised from the dead at Bethany. And this was, again, six days before the Passover. And Mary and Martha put on this special dinner for him with Martha serving. That's reminiscent of before. Do you remember before when she was serving and Mary was at Jesus' feet? So once again, we find the same thing. Martha serving, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. But this time, she does something extra special. She pours expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her hair. So she does something a bit different. And Jesus says, this is to prepare for my burial. So we kind of feel events are gaining momentum now that uh, that culminate in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus himself had said that he could no longer move around in public as the Pharisees were plotting to kill him. But then he chooses to make a very public appearance signaling that he's offering himself as that sacrificial lamb. There's a really strong parallel here. The people are doing their ceremonial cleansing in the temple, the temporary cleansing to get right with God before the special feast. 
And Jesus is preparing with his friends for burial, for the ultimate sacrifice to permanently take away our sins and for us to get right with God. And he's preparing to die for his friends, these very friends he's dining with. And as he later says in John 15, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Can you, can you kind of, I'm trying to help, kind of help us really understand. It's, there's a lot, isn't there, to think about. So the third thing to sort of really think about, so we thought about preparing for a king, thought about sacrifice. The third thing is about humility. So if we take, take us back to those ancient Jerusalem streets and the crowd have heard that Jesus is coming. And at that time, palm branches were used to, for rejoicing. I had a little look on Google and palm trees do grow near Jerusalem. <laughs> um, so that's good. Um, so palm branches were used for rejoicing. And it was common practice in the ancient world to welcome home a king or war hero by laying down a path of branches for him or her to ride on or walk on, similar to rolling out a red carpet today. You kind of get that. So Jesus arrives amidst so much expectation, huge amount of expectation. We really need a king, but he's riding on a donkey, a young, small donkey completely shocking he stages an entrance to Jerusalem that is a deliberate echo of a victory parade riding into the city city gates like a conquering king uh, upon their coronation kings would commonly ride on a mount to distinguish themselves from the rest of the people but here there were no fine robes no military display no parade of captives, just one unarmed, unprotected man on a small donkey. So the crowd were anticipating this nationalistic political rebel, a great military leader on horseback. But Jesus rides those narrow streets on a donkey in the sight of the temple and the Roman garrison and he comes ready for the final confrontation with the powers of the world. So when horses are mentioned in the Bible, they're usually in relation to kings and war. But in a demonstration of humility and peace, he rides on a donkey. And when donkeys are mentioned, it's usually relation, in relation to common people. So as well as all of this, Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. And um, there's a quite a famous one in Zechariah 9.9 that says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And we see this fulfilled in these passages 
And in the Amplified Version, it says, When the large crowd who'd come to the Passover feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took the the branches of palm trees in homage to him as king, and they went out to meet him, and they began shouting, and they kept on shouting, Hosanna, which is shouts of adoration and praise and joy. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And in Psalm 118, it says, The Lord is God. He made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the vestal procession up to the horns of the altar. So we just need to stand back and look at our picture, don't we? So the king of the Jews, the king of the Jews, the much-anticipated king of the Jews has arrived in Jerusalem, but not quite as expected. In humility, prepared for burial and sacrifice, to die for his friends and to conquer the whole world. Not to overthrow the physical enemy, but the unseen enemies of sin and rebellion against God and all the dark consequences of that. He came powerfully, sacrificially and humbly to offer us an eternal way out of this oppression. Uh, And I I love the way it says um, in verse 16 that the disciples only realized afterwards what had happened and the significance of the fulfillment of all the ancient prophecies and at the end of Luke's gospel, we hear that, um, that Jesus, had, after Jesus had risen, he walked with two of his disciples whilst they were traveling to a, a village seven miles outside of Jerusalem. I just love that little detail because clearly there was a lot of time that was needed. <laughs> Plenty of time, beginning with the Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And here we're reading about two two of those scriptures and how they're being fulfilled. And then Jesus, at the start of his ministry, he reads the scroll of Isaiah, if you remember that, in in Nazareth. And when he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and an oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So this was at the start of his ministry And now we have the evidence of all the stories, all the miracles, all the lives changed, and all the signs, the latest of which is being referenced here, which is when Lazarus raises from the dead, is being raised from the dead, just as Jesus prepares for his own death and resurrection. And the crowd are spreading the word about this right at the very time, and everybody's thinking about the need for the king And sacrificial lambs. So, remembering again, looking back at the whole picture, the king of the Jews has arrived in Jerusalem, but not as expected. In humility, 
prepared for burial and sacrifice, to die for his friends and to conquer the whole world. So I just wonder if we could take our palm crosses. We're making good use of these today, aren't we? (laughs) We've already used them once. And um, I just would like us to pray together, if that's okay. Just having a little think about what what we've been thinking about today. Yeah, so Lord, we just thank you for your word and the way that you revealed yourself to us on Palm Sunday. And we look to the King. And we say, Lord, your kingdom come. Not our kingdom, Lord, but your kingdom come. And just like in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. And we pray for more of you, Lord, more of your kingdom come in our lives and in the lives of those around us, Lord. Extend your kingdom in our lives and in us and through us, Lord. Extend your kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. I just had a sense as I was praying today just, just about how surprising Jesus is and um, just got a little story to share with you about that so in the 1970s um, well an American feminist Gloria Steinem was being interviewed and the interviewer tried to pay her a compliment by saying she didn't look 40 And Steinem shot back and said, this is what 40 looks like. And um, I just feel like Jesus is really saying, you know, this is what I look like. And some of us may have like a misconception of who Jesus really is. We've kind of thought about him in a different way. So if that's you or, or you don't know Jesus at all and you'd like us to pray with you, we'd love to do that. So if you feel like you've had this misperception of who Jesus really is or if you don't know him at all then please do we'd love to pray with you and the second thing I was thinking about when I was praying is just this verse from Psalm 118 where it says when hard pressed I cry out to the Lord and you know many of us are like really crying out to the Lord at the moment for different things and if you'd like one of us to pray with you today I think we'd really like to do that as well